Especially on this Sunday, we have a lot to be thankful for and a lot to praise Him for. So as we continue in worship, let's focus on bringing that heart of praise to God for what He did for us. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see. 
we praise your name forever, God. We'll never forget that you love us, Lord. I just pray that as we continue in worship through the reading of the word today, through Tony's message, God, would you just help us not leave this room without understanding what you did for us, God, and letting that change our lives. And in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Good morning. This is an amazing day. I, I became a Christian 42 years ago this month. I, I was, yeah. I was 20 years old, so now I'm 42. And in different, different seasons in life, and as you go through, I've been a minister for 27 years. And you come to a, a day like today, Resurrection Day. You know, if you come to this church, you know, I struggle with saying Easter. I want to call it what it is, Resurrection Day. And, and the idea of sometimes you go through the motion in services like this when you're on staff at a church and you got all the work you got to do for, for Palm Sunday, Good Friday, the Resurrection Day. You lose sight of the fact that the significance of today, that today we celebrate that approximately 2,000 years ago, our Savior was dead in the grave. Hope was lost. And the women came to the tomb to wonder who's going to roll that stone away so we could anoint the body. I'm, getting, I'm starting to preach my sermon. I haven't even done announcements yet. <laughs> and the angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is that's what we're celebrating. Do, do you really grasp the significance today? It's an amazing day. He was dead, but he is now alive. And our life has completely changed because of it. So let's just thank God for that. Father, we thank you, Lord. And, and we, we want, I want you to, to just ignite this excitement in our hearts and minds, Lord, that Jesus Christ is alive today, sitting at your right hand, ruling his universe. Um, all as we're going to learn today to save us. So thank you, Father. Guide this service. We hope you are honored. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. Now we'll come back to what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, welcome to Cornerstone Church. I don't have a lot of announcements today, but I just want to welcome you. If, if you're visiting in town, from out of town, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you for taking the time on your weekend or vacation to come to church. If you're new to town, some of you have just moved here. We're thrilled to have you. And we want you to understand, we meet every week, you know, every week at 9.30 and 11. We've been doing this now since, since early June, early June. And um, it, we're excited. COVID is starting to, to hopefully go away and we can go back to whatever new normal is. And um, so thank you for joining us today. And for those of you who call this church your home for years, you honor me greatly. Thank you for being here today. We are going to look at this thing called the resurrection today. So I want to read to you the text that's going to form our, um, the rest for the next 30 minutes. It's Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. So let me read it to you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he just spent a whole chapter talking about all the Old Testament saints and their great faith, no matter what happened in their life, they had faith, they trusted in God. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And we would ask, well, why and how? Well, because Jesus did it. The next verse. Looking to Jesus. He's our inspiration. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Those two words are, are, are incredibly significant in Scripture. The founder, he's the one who started the whole thing, what we call Christianity. He's the one who, who initiated it. He founded it. He's the author. And then he's the perfecter. He's the one that will finish what he started in your life. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Now here it is. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him. I want you to think about that for a moment, because we're going to start on this, we're going to end on this. What could be that joy? What would be the joy that would cause him to endure the shame of the cross? The pain that he went through that we've been talking about for the last two weeks. What is that joy? So get that in your head to start thinking about what would send Jesus to the cross? What would cause him to say, you know what, God, we're going to follow through on this plan of yours. Because there's a joy ahead for me that I cannot get that joy unless we go down this road. So keep that in mind. What possibly could be that future joy worth the suffering and shame. I'm going to review for you the last two sermons. So last Sunday was Palm Sunday, and then we had Good Friday. If you were with us, you remember this. If you weren't with us, let me give you some um, background. Palm Sunday, last Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, representing peace. The king has come in peace, and the people are shouting, Hosanna, glory to God, glory to the son of David, Hosanna to the son of David. So they, they love him, they're praising him. Five days later, the crowd has changed. Now what are they saying? Crucify him, crucify him. He rides in in jubilation and praise as the king. And five days later, they're calling for his death. Great anxiety in the garden. Not my will, Father, but yours. But I don't want to go down this road, Father. Can we do something different? But not my will be done, but your will. That night he was betrayed with a kiss by Judas. He was denied three times by his chief apostle, Peter. Then he was put to death by the Roman army who had perfected the torture of crucifixion. And on the cross, as we talked about on Good Friday... The first thing he says from the cross is, Father, forgive them. Forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. He's abandoned by his father where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he ends it, and this is where I want to pick up today. He ends it with saying, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Remember we talked about Friday, how Jesus at this point is, is, is helpless. He has no control of what's happening. He's now going to die. And what will be the response once he's dead? Father, I trust you with what comes next. Into your hands I commit my spirit. So again, in light of all that, what is the joy that is set before Jesus? that he would endure the cross despising its shame.
Let's do this. Last Sunday and Friday, we walked through the story. I'm going to walk through the story today of the resurrection. And then we're going to come back to Hebrews. So, it's Resurrection Sunday. Three days ago, Jesus was crucified. He died on the cross after six hours. A man named Joseph of Arimathea. He was rich. He was one of the Pharisees. He was a secret disciple. A secret disciple finally went to Pilate and said, he wants the body. Pilate had to say, is he dead already after six hours? Often people who are crucified would last days. So that's when they put a sword in Jesus' side. And they come back and report, yes, he's dead. So Pilate agrees to Joseph Arimathea, he could have the body. And Joseph takes the body, wraps the body, but doesn't totally prepare it for burial because you see it's a high holy day. The next day is the Sabbath and they have to get him buried. And, then, and so, so they put him in a tomb that had never been used before. Joseph had a tomb made for him and his family, never been used, and Jesus was laid in that tomb. The woman, the women who had never abandoned Jesus, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, all his disciples ran. But the ladies had never abandoned Jesus. They watched them roll the stone in front of the tomb. But the body had not been properly prepared. So they were going to come back to prepare his body. But it was the Sabbath. They couldn't do it the next day. They had to wait till the first day of the week. The disciples were dejected. Their hopes had been shattered. The one they thought was the messianic king had been murdered like a criminal. The one that was going to bring the kingdom of God and deliver them from Roman oppression had been, in fact, put to death by the Romans. Now they're locked in a room in fear of Jewish leadership that might come after them. If Jesus was an insurrectionist, if Jesus was a rebel, maybe they're going to come after his followers. So in fear, they've locked themselves in a room. And they're dealing with their own guilt, having abandoned Jesus in the, after the rest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Put yourself in their place. You're at the Last Supper with them, and Jesus says, tonight one of you is going to betray me. And they say, we would never betray you. Not me, not me, not me, each one of them. And Peter said, or Jesus says to Peter, tonight you're going to betray me, Peter, or you're going to deny me. I'll never deny you. I'll die with you tonight. But we know the story. They all abandoned him, and Peter denied him. But the ladies were going to do what they could do. They were going to go to the tomb and properly anoint Jesus' body for burial. So that's where we're going to pick up Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Just get this in your mind, this imagery here. The ladies are going totally discouraged that their, their Savior has been put to death, not grasping the concept of sacrificial atonement, why Jesus would die for them. Even though he told them, they didn't get it. And they get to the tomb with all these spices ready to, to, to anoint Jesus' body, but who's going to roll the stone away? And they get there, and it's been moved by an angel, and the angel's sitting on the stone. 
Get that? It's one of an incredible sight. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has, as he said he would do. Come, see the place where he lay. And so they looked into the tomb. In verse 8, and they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. So, so those two emotions, fear and great joy. Why fear? At that moment, why fear? First of all, you just saw an angel. An angel that tells you he's not dead anymore, he's risen. Th that would freak you out. That, that totally blows away your whole worldview. Because people who die don't come back to life. That's just not the normal experience people have. So all of a sudden, my whole worldview has is, is, is been shaken. But if it's true, oh my goodness, what an occasion for joy. So with fear and great joy, interesting two emotions together there. But as they're leaving, and the different gospel accounts tell different aspects of the stories, at some point now, Jesus appears to them. And, and, and Martha misses it. Martha thinks it's a gardener. He's a gardener. And what have you done with my body, my, my Savior? And all of a sudden, he speaks, and they realize this is, this is Jesus. Greetings, he says. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said, don't touch me. I have not descended to the Father yet. But go and tell my disciples that I will meet them. Don't be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me there. Understand the significance of Jesus first appearing to these ladies. We're in a culture very patriarchal. We're in a culture where when it comes to eyewitnesses, women aren't trusted. But Jesus first appears to ladies. And, and it doesn't say this specifically, but I, I would suggest he honors them because of their faithfulness to him. You see, they didn't abandon him. They were with him the whole time at the cross. Everyone else fled on him. All the men left. The tough guys left. The ladies stayed and witnessed the whole thing. He gave them great honor. So they run and tell the apostles. After the ladies told Peter or the apostles, P Peter, Peter says this, but these words seem to be to them to be an idle tale. And they did not believe them. So uh, just imagine now, with great fear and joy, they, they see Jesus, he's alive, their whole worldview is shaken. They've seen an angel. Now they run and tell the disciples, and the men say, it's a fable, what are you talking about? Jesus can't be alive, there's no way and they did not believe them. But Peter and John run to the tomb anyways. And they look inside and they see it's empty. Peter says, I don't know. But John believes. John believes something has happened. Now what I wanna do is I wanna drop in on the account in John's Gospel. As Jesus, they're in this locked room. They're in fear. 
And Jesus appears to them. Now, people say Jesus walked through the walls. It doesn't really say that. It is in a locked room, and Jesus appears in front of them. How he got there doesn't really matter. This is the resurrected Lord. Evidently, locked doors don't stop a resurrected God. So he appears in front of them and says, peace be with you. Now think about that for a moment. Three times in this story, Jesus says, peace be with you. Is that just a formal way of saying, hi, how you doing? Probably. There's a measure of where the word peace, shalom, is a common greeting. But at this time, I think it's very important. The idea of shalom, that everything is the way it ought to be. People, disciples, men, women, peace be with you. It's okay. I'm alive. So listen how the story goes. Now Thomas, we're starting verse 24. Thomas, one of the 12 called a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my fingers into the mark of his nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He got the, he got the, the, the name Doubting Thomas. How many of you in this room, if you came into a group of your close associates and they told you about an incredible miracle, someone who was dead came back to life, how many of you would say, unless I see it for myself, I will never believe? Yeah, that's, um, th that's human nature. So when we, we pick on Thomas and call him Doubting Thomas, uh, just put Doubting and put your name in there. Because that's what we would all do. This, is, this doesn't happen. No way. Well, it was true, but Thomas just needed proof. Now, here's the, um, I don't want to say the cruel part, but verse 26, eight days later, Jesus made him wait eight days of the other disciples all going, yeah! And Thomas going, you guys are nuts. Eight days he had to wait in his doubt. His disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with him, with them. Although, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So first of all, why does Jesus still have these scars? Right? He's, he's, do you guys remember Mel, I was going to say Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks did not make The Passion of the Christ. Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. Well, that, that was a slight, a slip. Do you remember Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, if you saw it? The end of the movie, and we know that Mel Gibson really portrayed Jesus beating brutally. I mean, Jesus' body was utterly devastated by the whip. And and when he, he's put in the tomb, his body is almost unrecognizable. But then, as the tomb opens, because on the cross, the whole scene went dark in the movie. Then the next scene is the stone being rolled away, and light comes into the tomb. And Jesus is sitting there on the shelf of which he was, he was laid. And there's a camera angle from the side. And all of Jesus' wounds are healed. He no longer is, is cut, like shredded like a ribbon. 
he's healed. But then the camera stays still. So the, you know, the cinematography, the camera stays still, but Jesus stands up. And so as Jesus is standing, the camera is panning his body. And it gets down to his hand, and there's a hole in his hand. So his whole body is healed, but he still has the hole from the nails in his hand. And, and this demonstrates that Gibson um, portrayed that correctly. Why does Jesus still have holes in his hands and a hole in his side in his resurrected body that is to never die again? What's a scar do? I have a scar right here from when I cut. I got scars everywhere. This is the only one I'm going to show you, though. <laughs> scars remind you of the past. In this case, reminds me of hiking in the mountains out of Reno and, and, and rolling a car down, abandoned car down a hill and scraping my hand on a bullet hole. And so the, but it's always there and always reminds me of the event. So the scars on Jesus reminds you of what he did for you. But it's also, scars are about forgiveness. When, when you forgive somebody, it's not, when you forgive someone, it's not that nobody pays. When you forgive somebody, it means you pay. I want you to think about this. When you forgive somebody who sinned against you, you carry the pain. You don't make them pay, you pay for it. And you carry the pain. These scars showed what Jesus paid for our sins. I believe for eternity, Jesus will have these scars as a reminder of the price paid for you and I to be forgiven. Do not disbelieve, but believe. What does Thomas do at this point? Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. It doesn't say this, so I, I, maybe I'm adding here to scripture. I sense that Thomas went to his knees. The realization that he is alive. These guys have been telling the truth for the last eight days. And I've been doubting them. I've been mocking them, making fun of them for believing such a foolish thing as a miracle of resurrection. Again, I'm elaborating. My Lord and my God. That's an amazing statement. Remember, Thomas is a faithful Jewish man. How many gods does a faithful Jew believe in? One. The whole Shema of Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, Yahweh, is one. And now he's calling Jesus my Lord and my God. He's making an acknowledgement here. The God I have served my whole life is now standing in front of me, a human being raised from the dead. The whole theology of the incarnation, God becoming human, is all wrapped up right here where Thomas acknowledges at the end of the gospel, my Lord and my God. And here's what Jesus says. Have you believed because you've seen me? Now he talks to us. Jesus' next line is talking to us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you believe today? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Because if you've been in a place of doubt, and maybe you have in your life, all of us doubt at times. So we go through cycles of doubt and faith and doubt and faith. 
But here's the, where the rubber meets the road with the resurrection. We must believe that God became human, that he lived the perfect life on this earth, the life we were supposed to live. He lived it in our place. He was brutally beaten and murdered for his faithfulness to God by, as we've learned through this whole time, he's by the Romans, by the Roman governor, by Herod, the supposed king of the Jews, by the Jewish people themselves, the entire world killed Jesus. We can't blame it on one group. And then he goes to the grave and raises three days later to say, believe in me and you shall have eternal life. Now, I want to go back to the question. What was the joy that was set before him? We're going to come back to John in a minute, but I want, I want to go back to Hebrews. What was the joy set before him? He endured all of that for some joy. And if we could, we could surmise and come up with things, well, he, he, he was looking forward to being raised from the dead. Well, that's true, but you know what? He didn't have to die. This was a voluntary thing. He was volu voluntarily obeying his father. So he didn't have to die. Well, he was exalted to be a name above every name. Maybe it was that joy. Well, you know what? He had that name before he became human. He was exalted back to the glory he had with his father before. That's what John 17 tells us. So those things aren't new to Jesus. What was the joy set before him? I want to walk you through Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. You see, we started in Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the suffering of the cross and the shame that came with it. Let's go back in the context of Hebrews now and look what it says about Jesus when his days were on earth and he was facing the cross. Hebrews 5, 7. This is in the context of Jesus being our high priest. In the days of his flesh, when he was human, when he was, became human, the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. His, his reverence submission, one, one um, translation says. So when, when did Jesus offer up loud cries asking God to save him from death? The Garden of Gethsemane is the only, only recorded place we have. But look what it says there. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard. See, he was heard means his prayer was answered. So stay with me on this, because this is a fascinating passage that deserves a lot of thought. And I, there's some things in here I don't fully understand. But Jesus asked his father that day, is there any other way? And then he concluded, not my will, but your will be done. And what was the will of God? That he goes to the cross. So it says here that Jesus, with loud cries and tears, asked God to save him from death, and he was heard. But Jesus died. So he wasn't saved from dying. Here's what I suggest to you. He was not saved from dying, he was saved from staying dead. You see, what, what is death? Death, for the wages of sin is, that's both a physical thing and a spiritual thing. Jesus, who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin 
became sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So on the cross, when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he had become sin. And he died. And what do sinners deserve? To stay dead. Separated from God. The body is dead. So Jesus' cry is, God, don't leave me dead. Father, don't leave me dead. And he was heard. Three days later, he was raised. So verse 8, and this is, this is one of the verses I don't fully grasp the ramifications. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, here it is. Here's the joy. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So here's the joy, at least one aspect of the joy I suggest to you. Yes, Jesus was joyful. He was not left dead. But he didn't have to die. He obediently followed his father's will. He has joy that he's being exalted to the right hand of God where he came from. Like I said, he was there before. So it wasn't a new thing for him. Here's the new thing. The joy Jesus has to receive you into eternal life. The joy he gets now that he's paid the price for you. He's your high priest. And he literally, all day, every day, for the rest of eternity, intercedes for you to stay saved. Do you understand the joy you bring Jesus by believing in him? This is, this is profound. With the mask on, I can't tell if you're impressed. <laughs> um, the joy set before him, he endured the cross and the shame that comes with being murdered by crucifixion. When you believe in Jesus, he gets to fulfill the purpose of his death and it brings him great joy. And we tend to think of salvation as an event, and I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this and writing about this. I need you to, to, to rethink. Yes, salvation is an event that began at a point. But it's something that grows. We grow in our salvation. We'll be fully saved at the resurrection. But it says that he is our high priest forever. Jesus will, has secured and will maintain your salvation for the rest of eternity. And it brings him great joy. So if you're in this room and you've already believed in Jesus Christ, You're, you turned from your sin and came to him and said, Lord, I deserve nothing from you. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. And it says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Sometimes we forget the depths of our sin. I was talking with one of our brothers in here. We were talking about what is grace. Grace requires us to go back to understand what we deserved. We deserve death, but what did we get? Grace. If you're in this room today and maybe you don't believe in Jesus yet, you struggle with that idea or uncertain. Often Christianity is portrayed as just a bunch of rules of a bunch of self-righteous people. And yes, we Christians can come up with a lot of rules. A lot of them God didn't even make. And many human beings, Christians included, can be very self-righteous. But the heart of Christianity is a savior who so loved sinners, so loved people who were in rebellion against him, that he became one of them, 
He became one of them in order to live the life they were supposed to live, die the death they were supposed to die, and be raised from the dead as being accepted by God to offer salvation to each one of us because he deeply loves you. And I want to read to you the last verses of John chapter 20, 30 and 31, verses 30 and 31 of, of John 20. As John now, after telling the story of Th Thomas and saying, my Lord and my God, here's how John summarizes his gospel. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But those, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Some of you know I just moved to Carson City. In Carson, it's actually spring now. Hasn't come to incline yet. And my, the trees are starting to bud green. Why did God pick Resurrection Day to be celebrated in the spring? I, I wonder, is it coincidence? The spring, you see evidence of new life? I don't think coincidence. Nothing, there's no coincidences. So... Romans chapter 6, it says, when you believe in Jesus, that you died with him, you were buried with him, and you were raised with him to walk a new life. Do you want a new life? A life that has a forgiveness that is overwhelming? A life that has significance when you wake up every day, that you realize whatever's going on in the world, whether it's mundane or, or horrible events going on, that you have purpose in this life. Your life has meaning every day. You live your life and it has an eternal significance before our God. Do you want that life? You want a life where you are separated from your creator, but now you realize your creator accepts you based upon who he is, not who you are, based upon what he has done, not what you have done. If you want that life, all you have to do right now is call out to Jesus. And say, Jesus, I bring nothing. I have nothing to offer you. But I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask for the new life that comes with your resurrection. Save me, Lord Jesus. And if you would do that today, the scriptures tell us that not only does Jesus rejoice and have joy, it says the angels rejoice. I, I'm more impressed with Jesus' joy than the angels, but think about it. The heavenly realm is excited because a sinner, a rebel, turns to the living God. I could keep talking, but I'll pray now. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this glorious, beautiful truth. And Jesus, I, I don't fully understand all those things in, in the book of Hebrews said about you. But the idea that the joy of saving us. You endured a horrific death. You endured unbelievable mocking and shame so that you could offer us eternal life. We thank you. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Open our eyes to see the significance of this. And, 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 and Lord, Help us to realize this is not a one and done. This is about every day. Calling you my Lord and my God, as Thomas did, and following you.
thank you. In Christ's name we pray.
All right, church, sing it out. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Amen. Amen. Yeah, praise his name. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. going to do a new song to close out. It's called Resurrecting, and it talks about that victory that Tony just talked about that we had. So we're going to learn it, and I hope you guys will sing it out.
you. Remember the price that Jesus paid for your life. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. Have a great week.